this morning, um, I get to preach again. So, back to back. Um, this will not be a permanent mainstay. <laughs> know that your regularly broadcast uh, will be starting again next week. So, <laughs> um, but it is my privilege and pleasure to be able to do this. And, you know, today, it's, it's, it just feels like sometimes we just need encouragement, Right? Like, sometimes we just go through life, and we just need to hear some good reminders uh, of things. 2020 has been a year, to say the least, right? And it's only November 1st, so that does mean we have two more months to go. Um, So, whether it's been a great year, or you're like, oh my word, I'm just limping and crawling along. Some would say that it has been quite the memorable year. Others are saying, I just want to forget it altogether. Can we just get it over? Can we move on? And in fact, we just, obviously, we just had daylight saving time. uh, And so we set our clocks back. I was seeing some things on social media that were saying things such as, I really hope that we don't have to go through setting our clocks back this year because I don't want another hour of 2020. (laughs) I think that can be a pretty popular sentiment these days. Even a few weeks ago, we were praying together before our staff meeting, and uh, someone just prayed as we were in that time together, and they just said, it's just an odd time right now. And I think that's probably a good summation of, of where we're at. And that phrase just struck me because it is an odd time, and maybe all the time is odd time, but we've had to go through a lot of things this year. It has been an entirely odd and disruptive period of time. And for most of us, all that we have ever known as a way of life has been turned upside down. Think about it. It's only been seven and a half months since mid-March when COVID started to hit Wisconsin and everything shut down. And we've experienced numerous unprecedented events in our lives this year, causing many to be disoriented, fearful, anxious, perhaps even hopeless. We learned of a global pandemic that had finally hit our nation, and there were wild rumors on how it started and where it came from and what was going to happen, and we didn't even know how it would be contracted. All we knew is it was out there, and we just needed to watch out. And as a result, we were asked to shelter in place and be quarantined in our homes, and we learned new phrases like, we need to pivot and, you know, the, the whole shelter-in-place idea and, and things like that. And we've been asked to keep our distance from other people in order to not spread the virus or to contract it ourselves. And because of that, we were unable to visit with our family members, some of them who we, we dearly loved and we just missed being able to just see their faces and their smiles, some of whom who needed our care or just a friendly hug at times, we couldn't do that for right? We were told, don't do that because you will spread it and you will get someone sick. And we constantly hear new and differing reports on what we should and should not do to help prevent the spread. I don't know about you, but I feel like in an hour's time, I can hear three or four different stories on what is good and what is bad. Things are always coming out and it's coming at such a fast pace that sometimes our heads are just left spinning and we wonder who to believe. One, and then on top of the coronavirus news, we began to see protests and riots breaking out in cities across our nations. 
and we wonder, what is happening in our society? Then we hear about murder hornets. Who knew? Like, what? A, I mean, I remember killer bees, but now murder hornets? You know, is it, it going to be maniacal wasps next? You, you know, I don't know what's going on. And then there's disastrous wildfires, not just in our country, but in Australia and in other parts of the, the, the world. We are now at, we've just tied the record for the number of hurricanes in one season and tropical storms. And from what I understand, we've still got some time to go. So who knows where that's going to go. And then, if I've heard correctly, there's this minor event coming up on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> Has anyone else ever heard about something called an election? Right? And so we're in the middle of election season. And if, if your house is like mine, I think I get like five or six pieces of mail every single day, sometimes four or five from the same person, um, just trying to get my vote. We've been bombarded with constant advertisements and mailings and phone calls. Uh, I know my wife is getting constant text messages uh, from political campaigns, and a good chunk of it is filled with fear-mongering and divisiveness. Like, we are a divided nation at this point. Now, after all this, you know, I don't know about you and how you're handling it all, but it causes a lot of confusion and disillusionment, and often we can have the right perspective, but there are moments and there are days when I've been overwhelmed and just kind of, you get into freak-out mode sometimes. And sometimes it's, it's only like half an hour, but you just kind of, okay, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know how I'm going to handle this, and, you know, you just spiral out of control, and either, you know, a friend or a spouse or a loved one just kind of has to snap you out of it sometimes, right? I can sit there for just a bit, and I wonder, what's going to happen next? What kind of upheaval is the world as I know it going to go through next? And as I talk with different people, I do hear kind of that similar sentiment from time to time. Like, I just, it, I'm wigged out a little bit. I'm just worried. And perhaps it's just a mental and physical tea, fatigue that goes along with all of this. And after dwelling in that stress and anxiety, after freaking out for a little bit, I often come back to the truth of scripture, which helps me to reset my thoughts. A common scripture that comes to my mind is found in Psalm 4610, where God says, be still and know that I am God. And I think that is a, a wonderful principle and a wonderful truth that we can rest on. He simply invites us to relax and be comforted to know that he is God. And I can know that he is in control. And so if you take nothing else from today, from our time together, I hope that you will know that God is in control. With all the craziness, with all that 2020 has brought us, God is in control. It is not a past tense thing. It is a present and future tense thing. God is in control. Yet in the midst of going through these seasons in the midst of a year of constant change like 2020 has been, it can be a challenge to simply know that, to simply rest and be still and know that he is God. In the midst of adversity or an unraveling of the life you know, 
the question becomes, how do we do this? How do we just keep moving on and knowing that God is in control? Well, today I want us to consider the life of Job. I want us to see how he approached God when he faced catastrophic events in his life. So let's set the stage for Job's story. It can be familiar to many of us, but some of us may not be real familiar with, with all that Job went through. So in Job 1.1, we're introduced to Job the man. We see him described at the very beginning of his story. And Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. We see Job described as a man who feared God. He lived a blameless and upright life. He was turning away from evil and doing what was good. He was trying to walk with God, to serve him and follow him. I think it's fair to say that he was a good man, right? Based on what we read here, he knew God at some level and he walked with him. And even God describes Job as a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil in verse 8. So God is talking about Job and he uses that same kind of language just to say, Job is a good man. He is walking with me. He is doing what is right. And at this point, Job is a blessed man as well. He had seven sons and three daughters. He has thousands of sheep, camels, oxen, and donkeys. He's got flocks and flocks. He has servants galore. And he has a prominent status with the people of his time. He is living, in a sense, the high life. Life is good for Job at this point. But then in a matter of hours, the good life that Job knew was thrown into chaos. Throughout the rest of Job chapter 1, we read about one calamity after another, after another, after another. The first one would be bad enough to have happen. And it's some Sabaean raiders who came and they took all of his oxen and donkeys and killed all of his servants that uh, oversaw them except for one. Because one has to come and tell the news, right? So that was one thing. All of his oxen and donkey are, are taken away. Job kind of says, okay, here's, you know, we're going to figure this out. Meanwhile, that one messenger has just finished telling all of what has just happened, and then another one comes, and he tells that fire came down from heaven and burned up his sheep and all his servants but one. 7,000 sheep are gone in, in an instant. They are burned up, and no one even gets to partake of lamb chops. You know, it, it, they're gone just like that. So messenger number two is finishing his story, and messenger three comes along and says that some people from Chaldea have raided his herds of camels, took them all, and killed all the servants but me. So I get to tell you this news. And so now three huge events that are, are taking away the things that he owned have happened. And lastly, as if these were not bad enough, a mighty wind comes and demolishes the house where all of his children were having a feast. Every single one of his children were killed just like that. Every single one has now met their demise. And Job just sits there, you know, dumb and in awe of, like, what in the world is going on. He had 2020 wrapped up in one day. 
And the bad news just kept rolling in, and it was just one messenger finishing up with the one report. Another would come in to relay another disaster, and Job is just sitting there in shock, numb to what is going on. In chapter 2, Job gets hit with even more calamity. It wasn't bad enough to have all of his hell, uh, his uh, property, his wealth, and his, his children taken away. Now he is struck, as it says, with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. In other translations, they're described as terrible, painful boils. So terrible that Job takes himself and puts him in, some believe, like the garbage dump, in an ash heap. And he just sits there, he takes a broken piece of pottery, and he's just scraping the boils, trying to relieve himself of the pain and suffering. And on top of that, his wife comes along and says, Honey, I don't think this God thing is working out for you. Why don't you just curse him and die? How heartbreaking it must have been for Job to hear his wife, his life companion, the love of his life, decide that God is not for her anymore. She's seen enough. She's saying, I'm done. And she's recommending that Job just, you know what, just be done with it all and just die. I think that's quite a lot for one person to endure. He's lost everything at this point. His wealth, his kids, now his health, and now he sees his wife giving up her faith. How devastating that must be. And after sitting in a state of stunned silence, with his heart heavy and filled with grief, consumed with physical suffering, he begins to speak out. And that's what most of the book of Job is, is he's having this conversation And he's speaking out and he's crying out and he's just grieving over what he's experienced. And one of his first words that we hear him utter is, cursed is the day that I was born. He wishes that he had never been born at this point. Like, how am I supposed to keep going on? This is like the worst stuff ever. And he begins to ask questions about why this happened. And his helpful friends point out that he must be a wicked, rotten sinner for all of this to happen to him. They knew God to be a righteous God. They knew God was fair and just. One who blesses the righteous and punishes the wicked. To them it was that clear. Like there was no middle ground. Like Job, you must have done something really bad. Because there's no other reason and no other explanation why this has happened to you. All suffering in their eyes is a punishment for sin. And since Job is suffering, that must, by default, mean that he has sinned. And Job is saying, but guys, I I haven't. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I have not sinned to this degree. Like, I don't know what kind of grievous sin this could be. And Job defends himself to them and argues that he has been righteous before God. He doesn't know why this has happened, but he believes he has not sinned as they're accusing him of sinning. And so during this time of suffering and due to his friend's questions, Job begins to wrestle with what he personally knows about God. And more than ever before in his life, he must now take what he thinks he knows about God and try to marry that up with his current experience. Like All of these things are now happening, and they're happening personally, and yet here's what I know about God. And something from what I've known about God, is not lining up with with what I'm experiencing right now. 
And so he begins to ask questions. So if you could take your Bibles and turn with me to Job chapter 13. We're going to see an example of Job wrestling with all of this. We could read the whole book and it would give us the full and and vast picture. But we're going to just read a short passage today that Job is addressing some of his questions and his concerns to God himself. So we're going to start at verse 20 of Job chapter 13. And Job has now turned his attention toward God and he says, Only grant me two things, then I will not hide my fa- myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer. Or let me speak, and you reply to me. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. I'm going to stop there. As Job wrestles with his suffering and his questions, he's directing those questions directly to God. Rather than just spouting off and and saying, here's what I know about God, and he must be uh, unjust because of what he's done. And this is somewhat the view that all of his friends had is, this is what God is. This is who we know God is. And so this is the black and white of it all. And Job is saying, I get what you're saying, but that's not lining up with my experience. So rather than just speaking about God and just giving in a sense, platitudes about God, Job directs his doubts, his questions, and even his protests directly to God. He seeks God so that he can hear directly from him about why all of this has happened. Even though he believes he has lived righteously and is undeserving of these calamities, therefore, he hopes that God will tell him, maybe even set him straight. Notice in verse 23, he asks, how many are my iniquities and my sins. Make me know my transgression and my sin. He's thinking, God, I think I'm in good standing, but if I have sinned against you in a grievous way, please, please bring it to my attention. If if I need to repent and I need to confess, I want to get right with you right away. I don't want to live in, in this land of unforgiven sin. So he brings his doubt even before God when he asks, why do you hide your face? And count me as your enemy. God, have you left me? Have you, have you turned your back on me? God, I just don't know and I want to know. So God, can you help me know? And in his mind, he knows that God is with him, but he's not really feeling his presence right now. Anyone else ever been in that situation? Like, I know God is with me, but I'm really not feeling it right now. All this stuff is happening, and I just feel like we're kind of distant. And he fears that God may have left him, so he cries to God for a response. And I believe that Job can serve as a model for us when we face uncertain times, some adversity in our lives. When we encounter a year like 2020 has been, when life unravels all around us, or we face personal disasters to our health, our finances, our families, We can be driven in one of two directions. We can either be driven toward God 
and to his care and his grace, or we can be turned away from God. And we say, you know what? Everything I thought I knew, it's just not working, and so I'm going a different direction. And so we get those two choices, and we have to decide which way we're going to go. And these times of trial bring forth deep levels of emotion, right? Like we, when we're in pain, when things are going awry and are in chaos, we have a lot of different emotions that can bubble up to the surface. Sometimes we don't even know that they were there. And they can range from pain and anguish to rage and bitterness to just bewilderment. And in these times, we're challenged to recognize and acknowledge the doubts, the fears, the anxiety, and the stress that we're feeling. And in all of those feelings, God is inviting us. Here's the cool thing. God is inviting us to press closer to him. He wants us, even in the midst of that trial and and adversity, he wants us to come by him. He invites us to talk to him about these things. Like, I'm a guy, and I don't always talk about my feelings very much. I let them stew, perhaps, and then they'll bubble up at, you know, when I'm least expecting it. God is inviting us, divulge it, bring it. I can handle it. Tell me what's going on, what you're feeling. And in the same sense, he's saying, I already know. I already know what you're thinking and feeling and, and how you're wanting to approach this. But let's talk about it. Would you, I'm inviting you. Would you invite me to come in with you? And as we do, we begin to experience him. He desires to have a personal relationship with him so that we can trust him and see that he is walking us through the situation. We can lean into those questions that we have. We can press into those doubts that we have by taking them before God. And just as he invites us to talk to him about where we are at, again, we can invite him into those situations. Now, recently I've encountered a situation that has left me perplexed and I'll say even hopeless at times. And during this time, I've had to be honest with myself and with God about my doubts and this this hopelessness. As I pray about this situation, there are a lot of times where I just sit there and I say, God, I don't even know what to pray right now. I don't even know what to say. But here's kind of like the word flow. It's just going to start coming out. And I simply start a lot of times with, God, I know you can do anything. But I have doubts on where this is headed. Because of how I've seen things like this go in the past, I have some serious doubts about the outcome. Like, I know you can, God, but the way that things have gone in the past and I've seen different experiences over my, my life, I don't know how it's going to happen. And I'm sorry, God, I really don't even have much hope other than the hope that I have in you and the hope that I know that you can do something. And that's where I come and I just say, God, I don't know what to pray, but I am going to just lift this up into your hands and I'm going to say, have your way. Can you do what only you can do? And all I can do with it is admit my, my doubt to God and acknowledge that that's where I'm at. I, I try to just be real. Like, you know, I don't want to put on uh, a false front and, and say, 
God's got it all. It's all going to work out great. And I believe that it will work out great. But what are his plans and his purposes? He may have something else in mind that aren't exactly what I think. And so in these moments, what I know to be true about God becomes real and furthers my relationship with him because God shows up. And as I come to him, even with my doubts, my anger, my hopelessness, my questions, or whatever other feeling or thought I might have, we begin to work through these things, and our relationship, he and I, then matures and grows because I am turning these things over to him, and he's meeting me in those moments when we come to him. So take your Bible and flip ahead to Job chapter 38. And we're going to see that after all of Job's questions and concerns, after all of his defenses against his friends' accusations, that God shows up, and he reveals himself to Job, and he answers Job. So let's start at verse 1 of Job chapter 38. We're going to read a couple different sections. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors? When it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? Now drop down to verse 22. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? And lastly, go to chapter 39, verse 1. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. So these are just a few of the responses that God is giving to Job. And so we see God come to Job, and he answers Job. Yet, if you notice, he's not addressing Job's questions directly. Job wanted to know why this happened or what. He wanted to know what had he done that would warrant this experience or or why this had all happened to him. But instead of why or what, God, in a sense, says that the real question is who and how. Job, you should be asking, 
Who are you, God? And how can I experience you and have a relationship with you? God, in addressing Job, points to all of creation. And he points to each detail of God's created order to demonstrate how mighty and majestic and even mysterious he truly is. He says, Job, consider the earth and the seas and the heavens above. Lift up your eyes and ponder the very ideas of light and snow and rain and that they exist by the hand of me, almighty God. Look to the constellations above and contemplate how they were formed and how they move. And then look to the animals of the land and see and know that I see everything that each one of them does. Job, I have created all that the earth and the universe holds, and I know how each one functions and keeps moving. God demonstrates to Job that he is sovereign, that he is over all. Colossians talks about that he is over all things, he is above all things, and he holds all things together. And he is going to govern all things according to his purposes and his plans. And for us, we may not know what those purposes are. And many of us really like to know what those plans and purposes are, right? Like, I'm not sure I can take the next step because I don't know exactly what it should be. But we can trust him, the one who created it all, right? Again, God invites Job and he invites us today to trust him. We can be comforted to know that all things, good and bad, are in the hands of an infinitely loving, wise, and sovereign God. And I wonder if his invitation to us today might coincide with the lyrics of Benjamin Earl King and perhaps sound like this. When the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light you see, Oh, don't be afraid. Oh, don't be afraid. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. Imagine God calling to you, his children, and just saying, I know what you're going through. I know what you're experiencing. But just come, stand by me. It's going to be all right. It may seem barren, and desolate, and hopeless, but just come, stand by me. And even if things look dark and bleak, God's invitation to us is, just stand by me. Come by me, put your trust in me, I am in control. And so during our times of uncertainty, he invites us to simply stand by him and trust that he is in control. And as God answers Job, Job experiences God in a way that he probably never even thought possible. So if you flip ahead to chapter 42, we get to see some of the experience that Job then talks about. He came in desiring answers to specific questions, doubts, and their suffering. But instead of direct answers, Job receives a glorious encounter with the king of the universe. So in verse 1, It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And as he quotes God here in verse 3, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And he responds, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak, 
I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Instead of just being the God that Job had heard about or experienced only in minor ways, Job now knows him more deeply. He recognizes the immense majesty and glory of God at a personal level, firsthand for himself. And he acknowledges that the beliefs that he held about God were not able to sustain the suffering that he had gone through and that he needed to lean in and bring his suffering directly to God and allow God to reveal himself to Job. And Job was awestruck, and he realized that God is sovereign, that he handles things in ways that Job cannot even begin to comprehend. And even though Job did not understand why his sufferings happened, and if there was any meaning to it, he was comforted by an encounter with God who can do all things. God's simple, loving, powerful presence impacted Job deeply. Now he knew his sovereign God through experience rather than just head knowledge. Like God came through in a, in a different way for him. And he knew him now in a deep way. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, I had the privilege of taking some time just alone. And it was in a moment like that where I just was able to soak in who God was. And I, had, I kind of wrote about it, and I think maybe this can help put it into some additional words for us. Um, just to think the God of creation sees me where I'm at. And so I wrote, how beautifully creative is my God. How wonderful he is to conceive of giving me organs called eyes, which allow me to see and visualize the beautiful canvas he has created. This morning alone, I have been able to take in the beauty of Lake Michigan and the landscape around it. And as I looked out over the lake, I considered how vast and expansive it is. I, from my vantage point in Port Washington, cannot even see the edges of the lake. I cannot see across the lake to its eastern shores. I only see the horizon, in a sense, the end of the earth. Neither can I see the northern or southern limits. The lake just seems to go on and on, almost with an infinite flow. From the shoreline, I can also see the clouds in the sky. Today, they are like a gray, puffy blanket overhead. Yet there are little holes which allow the streams of light from the sun to shine down upon the lake and its landscape. And the clouds move across the vast sky, some at a more rapid pace than others. And then as faster clouds catch up with slower ones, the break in between those clouds is closed, but another gap is sometimes created. And as I look down the shoreline, I see yet another kind of beauty. With it being the autumn season, the trees on the bluff and shore display vibrant colors of reds, oranges, yellows, and greens. And against the gray and blue hues of the sky, they pop and burst with their colors. And I can also take in the height of the bluffs as I stand at the bottom. I can look up, and in spots, I cannot even see their tops. Yet each has markings, paths that have been etched into them, places where rains may have carved out a way to flow down. They look treacherous to attempt to climb, but beautiful to behold. And as I take all of this in, I recognize that this is a small, minuscule portion of the planet. This view here and now is a microscopic speck with respect to the vast expanse of the universe which God has created. 
I look out on the lake and it seems to go on infinitely, yet it is like a speck of dust within all of creation. One small piece in the infinity that God has created. And I realize that is also me. I am one small, finite being whom God has created and chosen to love. I am limited and imperfect, but he is not. He who created Lake Michigan and its shoreline also created the entire universe. And because he created the universe and all that is in them, then he is greater than all those things. He formed them and fashioned them by his creativity and his power. And so he knows every single detail about every single thing he has created, past, present, and future. And what a comfort that brings to me to know, to really know how great my God is. I am limited and finite. I can only see things from my limited vantage point, but God is infinite. He is beyond what I can comprehend, and yet I know he is greater than anything. He is above all things, and he is over all things. I may not, and I do not, understand all things, like why this or that happened to me, but I know that God does, and that he is in control. He does have a plan, and he is working it out. I don't always understand or get what he is doing, but I can trust him and know that he is in control. I am limited and finite, but he is not. He is the Almighty. And I think when we can take in those moments to just experience God in that way, when we can be still and know that he is God, God shows up and he reveals himself. Maybe in small ways, maybe in huge majestic ways but we get to experience him as we respond to his invitation and then also invite him into our situation as well so as we wrap up this morning my hope is that we can be encouraged that God is in control God is in control and in the midst of all the craziness that this year has brought we can find ourselves rattled or bewildered or anxious Yet the wonderful truth is that we can take how we feel and bring it before God, our sovereign God, and he will meet us in the middle of that by bringing our questions, our doubts, our anguish, our suffering, day after day after day. He doesn't grow tired or weary of us coming to him. And we can find the strength and wisdom to keep on going, to be steadfast by his power, to endure in hope. We can rest and be at peace knowing that God is in control and his purpose is being accomplished, even though we may not understand it. So let's pray. Lord, we just come and we sit before you and we are thankful that you are in control. Thank you for the example of Job who can show us that it's okay to have questions and doubts and that we can bring them to you and that you are bigger than any doubts or questions that we may have and you will respond and show us the things that we need to see. You will answer the questions that need to be answered. And so, Lord, this morning I know that there may be many in this room who are feeling a wide variety of things. They may be anxious. They may be hurting. They may be in anguish. They, they may be uh, just frazzled and stressed out. They may be bewildered. 
And Lord, you know what each person is going through. You see them right now in the seat that they are sitting in. And you know their experience and you know the things that they are going through. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would begin to minister to their hearts right now. To just reassure them. To pour out your love and your your compassion on them. If they're needing, in a sense, a hug, Lord, would you just wrap your arms around them to let them know that they are safe and secure with you. And so this morning, for those who may be in one of those kinds of situations where you're just in a deep struggle right now and you just need to encounter him, I invite you to just stretch out your hands kind of like a cup before you. And just begin to talk with the Lord about what that situation is. To just say, God, here is my situation. God, here is the thing that I am dealing with. God, here's, here's maybe the struggle. Here's maybe the, the, the questions that I have. Here's the anguish that I have right now. And I just present it to you. And after you've identified it, would you just raise it just a notch and just now invite him into that situation? Say, Jesus, would you just come into this right now? Would you begin to minister? Would you begin to do what only you can do? Would you do the work that needs to be done, and despite any feelings that I have, would you just enter into this situation as only you can? And lastly, would you just raise your hands just a little bit higher and just release it into his care and say, God, this is yours, and now I just trust you with it. going to keep inviting you into the situation, but I'm going to release it into your hands, knowing that you are almighty and that you can take care of it all. Father, I thank you for each one who has just invited you into their situation right now and that you are ministering to them, that you are working in that situation in the way that you know best. And so, Lord, we can just continue to trust in you. And we thank you, and we give you praise and honor and glory this morning, knowing that you are in control. You are the almighty God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a few moments, we're going to open up the altar. If you want to uh, have us pray for you, we would be more than happy to. I'll I'll put on my mask, and uh, we'll pray for any requests and needs that you might have. Would you stand this morning? Let me just pray our benediction prayer over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We're so glad that you've been here this morning. May God bless you throughout the entire week. Have a great day.